Welcome to The Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast, helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day, despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut-up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. I am your host and chief shut-upper of Making Shit Happen, Bernie Shaw. Now, on to today's episode. And we are now live with another episode of The Shut Up Show. I am your host, Bernie Shung, and I've got an amazing guest here today who's been waiting months and months to talk to us, and I'm so excited because we get to have him with the new format of the show, well, sort of the new format of the show. But anyway, without further ado, welcome Wayne Turmel to The Shut Up Show. (laughs) Thanks, Bernie. It's really nice to be here. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And I'm so sorry that uh, Phil's traveling in Orlando, so he wasn't able to make the conversation today, but he was so excited that we finally are featuring you. So I know he's going to totally blast out this episode when it goes live. But he did leave me with a question for you, but we'll get that uh, get to that in just a second. But anyway, to kick off this conversation, Wayne, I was really excited when I found out about you, which, by the way, Phil and I, well, Phil already knew you, but Phil and I were, again, reintroduced to you and bringing you on the show from Carrie Lorenz, which I'm not sure if you knew that. She I did was not. Talk- yes, she was talking about how, oh, there's different types of people I think should be on your show, and she mentioned that you would be a good person to bring on. So we'll have to give a shout-out to Carrie. I'm guessing it's from National Speakers Association? Probably, yeah. Okay. Awesome, awesome. So that being said, another shout out to NSA, shout out to Carrie Lorenz, and uh, Wayne, we have you here. We're going to talk about a lot of amazing stuff that has to do with fear. How the hell did you get out of all the fear that you went through in your life? And really where we kind of start that conversation is to find out what the hell were you doing before the amazing work you do today? So why don't we start there first? Uh, boy, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> go uh, as far back as you need to. And I, and I would say this. Let's start with a story that really felt like that defining moment in your life where you're like, ah, okay, now I know why I'm doing yeah. what I'm doing. I, I actually do have one. Uh, it's kind of interesting, at least you know, to my feeble imagination. I'm in third grade. And we're doing the dinosaur project, you know, where you have to make the little diorama (laughs) with stick the dinosaurs in there. And we're broken up into teams. And my team is exactly what you think it is. It's a bunch of eight-year-olds. And some of them are diligently gluing the dinosaur into place. And some are painting them. And Wayne is totally ADD, bouncing off the walls, completely useless to anybody. And then the time came where you have to speak to the group to... Do your pre- and nobody wanted to do it. Well, of course, Wayne, completely lacking the stage fright gene, says, I'll do it. So I get up, and I do my little puppet show, and I talk about the different dinosaurs. And from that moment on, it was Wayne's group. Completely unfair, completely unrealistic. Kind Wayne of like was- Wayne's world? Well, no, if it was Wayne's world, things would be very different, believe me. But the point is... All this hard work and all these people that were involved in it, the person who got up and talked about it became the face of that project and all that hard work. And I realized very early on 
that if you can speak, communicate, and do all that clearly, you have a radically unfair advantage over people who actually know what they're doing and do good work. Right. And so as I moved through my life from my entertaining days to corporate training, and I, think, I kind of became obsessed with this notion that really good, smart people get held back because they can't do something that for me is completely natural. And people who have this thing that I have, the ability to speak without being, you know, traumatized, get a really unfair advantage. You get way more credit for being way smarter than in fact we are. It's completely unfair. It's completely ludicrous, but it's true. And so that's kind of been how do I leverage this thing that I have which gives me the unfair advantage and how do I help those who are being held back even though they're smarter and better and all the rest of it because they can't do this thing that is so deceptively simple. Right. Gosh, I have a lot of amazing Oh, gosh, I have a lot of great insight on that and a follow-up question, but I want to hold off on that for now. So remind me if we forget, because I want you to finish the story and now take us to where you are today and the work you do today. But I really want us to go back to that conversation because there are a few things there that I think will help our audience as well because I think there are a lot of things where it's like, how can I be more like that guy over there even though I'm not built like that guy? And I think that this conversation happens far too often. So yeah, it, continue. It, it absolutely does. Well, what happened is, you know, I've been speaking in public basically since I was six years old, but when I graduated high school, I then spent or misspent the next 15 years of my life as a stand-up comic with varying degrees of success, left Canada, moved to LA, found myself at some point needing to feed a wife and a child, and so made a move to corporate training. And we can talk about the role fear plays in that little move, but found out I was actually pretty good at it, spent the next mm, 15 plus years in corporate training only to eventually, like every consultant on the planet, you know, find yourself in the parking lot with your stuff in a cardboard box saying, guess I work for myself now. And started greatwebmeetings.com, which is really a continuation of the work I've always done around presentation and communication skills. But we focus on helping people communicate virtually, uh, conducting webinars, leading web meetings, that kind of thing. Actually dealing with a new fear that I actually invented. It's on the urbandictionary.com. It's called glossowebinophobia. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. Well, this is the fear of speaking through webinars and that kind of stuff. So if you suffer from glossowebinophobia, this is what we do. Are you serious? You created this inside Wikipedia or Urban Dictionary, you said? serious as a heart attack. Okay, make sure uh, that after... It's up on the urbandictionary.com. After the show's done, I'll make sure to get the spelling from you because I'm definitely going to include that into the show notes. I don't think we've had anybody yet who has defined an urban dictionary word on our show. It's actually the <laughs> second one. Back in the days of the Cranky Middle Manager show, I actually did one that somebody else uh, posted on Urban Dictionary for me, which is tweet face link blogging. <laughs> Which is the okay. need to do something and then repost it in 17 different kinds of social media. Oh my gosh, I love that. So many of us are guilty of that. So, okay. 
<laughs> All right, a lot of great conversation topics here, and I know I know where I want to go with it, but I'm, I'm hoping we do have enough time to go through a few. So, so let's definitely break this down. Since fear is our focal point here, the most important thing that I really want to get across is obviously you don't, it sounds like you don't have a fear of public speaking, you don't have a, a fear of presenting and getting in front of people. So, I mean, that will definitely touch on that and how people who are afraid of that can get through it. But I think the first question I have for you is how the hell did you go from, you know, first of all, being this kid who basically had no business doing anything, but he always found himself in front of the group to being, you know, an adult stand-up comedian, you know, turned corporate trainer, turned solo entrepreneur. I mean, I, I, I can see where there are parallels, but at the same time, I'm kind of going, that doesn't sound, it sounds very disjointed to me. So the, the first question I have for you is from Phil. And he said, how the hell did you transition from A to B to C? Because I don't think there's a very clear direction or a clear line that makes sense to everybody. Well, it's funny looking back on it now at, you know, my semi-advanced age, I, there actually is kind of a path, but you could have never defined it at the time. It's one of those things you can only see it in the rearview mirror. It started right out of high school. I started doing stand-up as, you know, an 18-year-old in Canada and spent a lot of time doing that, uh, developed some level of success, did some television, opened for the band Chicago, that was the big gig. Nice! Oh my god, yeah. that's like my favorite cl classic rock band ever. Exactly, <laughs> well the, the Agridome in Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, I opened for Chicago. Uh, so, you know, I had something resembling a career, but it was kind of plankton level show business. And there reaches a point where I found myself in LA, I had a wife, I had a newborn uh, baby, and you know the day came when literally within six months, 80% of the comedy clubs closed. And I was a club comic. I didn't have the TV credits. I worked the road, and suddenly the road wasn't there anymore. The early 90s was a really, really tough time on the comedy industry. And so at some point, you know, man's got to do what a man's got to do. So I got off the road and I sold cars and I sold uh, dirty videos on the phone for about a week and <laughs> sold copier toner and all the time looking for something that I that used my skills. And when you kind of do the inventory of what are the marketable skills Wayne has, the only one that leapt to mind was I talk for a living. Right. You know, I have an associate's degree in broadcast journalism from BCIT burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I have essentially a 15-year hole in my resume as far as corporate hirers were concerned. Sales was kind of the only job I could get without a resume. But I knew that wasn't where I wanted to be because I completely misunderstood the sales industry. I mean, going back into it now it's an entirely different animal but right. so what do I do what do I do so I kinda cast it around and through a bizarre series of events that included losing on jeopardy and getting my house destroyed in an earthquake what? Oh, oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> trust me there's a three beer conversation if we follow this linearly but I found myself meeting somebody at a, at a meeting who said you should think about corporate training 
you know, I said, well, it's something I've thought about doing. She said, well, there's this organization called American Society for Training and Development. Why don't you go to a meeting and figure it out? I went to a meeting, kind of figured I was over my de depth, but I BS'd my way through it, met a guy who about a year later hired me for my for first corporate training job. And then I spent the next series of years in corporate training, managing trainers and delivering training. The company that I was with got bought and sold seven times in 11 years. And in one of those moves, you know, it was one of those discussions where your paycheck's in Chicago, should you choose to accept it? I thought accepting my paycheck is a good deal. And so in 2001, we moved here to Chicago from LA and then, and I'm trying to think back how long now, probably six years ago, I started greatwebmeetings.com. Uh, so, you know, the traumatic move was from being in the entertainment industry to corporate training. And I'm really blessed as an overused word, and I'm not particularly spiritual, but I'm really blessed in that I found a way to make a living using my gifts but in a grown-up mature kind of responsible way that has me helping people that most people who leave the entertainment business which is where their heart is never find something that captivates them as much and as geeky and weird as it is this kind of training that I do feeds that part of me as well as the neurotic you know ego driven side of me that needs attention from total strangers so it's worked out insanely well right okay awesome so that, that definitely makes more sense because I knew it wasn't a, a cookie cutter you know formula where it's like I just did this and that and that and I knew where I was gonna end up being I mean obviously we've heard it so many times before in over 100 episodes with different types of entrepreneurs and thought leaders authors I mean lots of different types of people here on the show who had varying views on fear and how they got through it but the one common denominator I have found in the conversations was that everybody talks about how they have failed. How many times did things have to go wrong in order for them to get to a place where it's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, and so for you, it sounds like your story led you on this path of, should I do this? No, that didn't work out. I don't know if I like that. And oh, I'm pretty good over here, but it doesn't make my heart sing. And you went through all of these different experiences to finally get to the place where you're at. But it sounds like at the core of it all, Wayne, the core of it was always you being able to share your craft of being a good communicator and the pr presentation skills that you have that you bring to the table and helping other people to improve their communication by also being better presenters of whatever it is that they're selling or marketing. I mean, would you agree with that assessment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the core of it, and, you know, as I say, soft and mushy is not what Wayne does best, but, but when you analyze it, really the mission, right, the purpose for doing what I do, and, and anybody who has a business, if you don't feel some kind of emotional connection to what you're doing, it's going to either fail or suck the life out of you, or both, uh, more likely both. Um, so this notion that I could make a living and, you know, feed my ego and do all that stuff, which is kind of what drives me, and at the same time, help people achieve their goals and and achieve a level of success for themselves is really both parts of that needed to right. be there right 
And I love it because it's mutually beneficial for you, the person helping, and for the person being helped. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it also helps if you know who it is you're trying to help. Uh, I, I remember not too long ago, actually, as I'm trying to figure out the direction Great Web Meetings is going to go, and I said to somebody, you know, I'm the world's worst business consultant because I don't care about the CEO. I don't care about the stock price. You know, who I care about is the project manager, the guy who's going to work every day, just the person that's trying to get work done and isn't getting the help they need to do what they need to do and save their sanity. And he said, so let me get this straight. Uh, you only care about the people in the organization with no buying authority and no budget. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's that pretty much sums it up. Uh, is that bad? <laughs> Depends on who you're asking, but well, I agree. And the I fact that you from. can do the math and say there is a benefit to the company and there is a benefit to the CEO and there is a monetary case to be made for helping these people be better. But that's not what drives me. That's a oh by the way we got to make sure we address that. Right. That's not a driver. Right. Right. So I'm going to shift the conversation because now I get to ask all the millions of follow-up questions that I have from your awesome opening story. <laughs> but uh, one thing that really jumped out at me was the imposter syndrome topic that comes up so much in the conversations mm -hmm. I have with my coaching clients. And I know it just came up yesterday and it just came up today as well. But I heard you say something. So I'm kind of seeing the imposter syndrome from two angles. One, you were talking about like you just kind of showed up. You didn't really kind of do all the work. You didn't really know what you were doing. And I've heard that phrase, you know, fake it till you make it, which I mm -hmm. hate that phase, phrase. But, you know, for the context of the story, it makes you sense. You might hate right? it, but there is, there is an inordinate <laughs> amount of truth to it. Right, I agree. And there's agreed. a lot of science behind it. Right, agreed. And then so so you've got you've got that kind of person, right? But then mm -hmm. you've got the other person too, who is, like you said, very crafty, very smart, hardworking, but maybe they weren't born with the chops, right? Maybe they weren't born with those innate skills. So they need strategies or tools to help them develop that thing that they're missing. So for example, maybe I'm a really good coach, but I suck at speaking and I want to speak. Maybe I need somebody to help me to hone my communication skills so I can be a predator presenter so that people can know who I am so then they can find out, wow, she is an amazing coach, right? So, so then there's that imposter too where it's like, I'm scared shitless to stand on stage and speak but mm -hmm. I need to learn the skills so that when I get on stage it's more of a process I'm following and not that I'm actually truly confident because I'm probably not. Now there's so many people like that which is why I'm using that example. So now you've got these two very clear examples of two different types of people who are right. standing in this imposter you know, role of that theirs. Um, can you walk us through that? Like how, maybe pick one of the two and walk us through how do you help somebody like that who's going through something like that to work through it and confidently get on out on the other side? Yeah, what's important to remember is that with any skill, it's not one thing. You know, uh, shooting a jump shot in basketball is not one skill. It's actually multiple skills. It's how you plant your feet. It's how you time the release. It's where you time the release. It's how you hold the ball. It's actually broken down into a whole bunch of things. And communication skills is the same way. Presentation skills is not one thing. It's not that you stand up and present. You know, if I were to say to you, 
Bernie, uh, you know, I want you to look more credible. Yeah, I'll get right on that. <laughs> what does that mean? Credible is the sum total of everything that the audience sees and hears that creates an impression of credibility. Now, everything the audience sees and hears that supports that picture of credibility works to my advantage. Everything that decreases that picture of credibility gets in my way. And the good news is most of the things that get in our way as communicators are in fact curable and are trainable. And you can, I don't think that you can take somebody who's completely awful and make them brilliant, but you can make them competent to the point where what the audience sees and hears, whether it's in person or on a webinar or on something like this, matches their message and so what's inside their head has a clear path to your audience. Right. What most of us do when we're presenting ineffectively is we are throwing up barriers to what's in our head and getting it into the heads of our audience. Perfect example, Einstein took five years to get his theory accepted by science. Some would say more, it depends on how you measure it. But think about this for a minute. The math didn't change. His theory was still correct. Everything he had. But what did science look like at the end of the 19th century? It was primarily German. It was all white guys, starched collars, waxed mustaches. Uh, if you weren't German or English, you were toast. Uh, incredibly snobbish, very, very didactic. But it was the starched collars. Now here comes this Jewish patent clerk who doesn't wear socks, hasn't seen a comb in five years. You know, the man can't master basic hair care, and he's telling us everything we know about the universe is wrong. Are we surprised that that, that message didn't get so far? <laughs> right. Right? Now, after a while, that whole mad scientist thing became part of the shtick, and, and he made it work for him, but I really believe we'd have had the theory of relativity accepted a whole lot sooner had he, you know, owned a comb and a pair of socks. <laughs> Do you think he had a coach? <laughs> uh, coaching does make a difference. Let me give you a perfect example of somebody who was coached and somebody that we think of as a great communicator, and I know he was coached. Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah. Now, yes, he went to law school and all that stuff, but here's how I know Bill Clinton was coached. Bill grew up poor white Southern, you know, in the Baptist church tradition. And I can guarantee that when he started, he did a lot of this, a lot of finger pointing when he gestured. And somebody coached him and said, Bill, that's an, that's an aggressive gesture. Nobody likes it. That's why we get the thumb. Right. And you can see the wheels turning. When he's talking and he really gets excited, you can actually see him consciously form that thumb. <laughs> Seriously, because it's an alternative. It's a conscious alternative to what his natural inclination is, which is to get in your face with the finger. Right. Now, there's somebody who has a natural set of chops and yet can still fine-tune what he does to compensate for something that would have been counterproductive.
Right. And another great example of somebody who, if we look back on his life when he was younger, the perceived efficiencies were that how could he amount to somebody in political office if he comes from, you know, poor and modest upbringing, right? So he probably had to do the whole fake it till you make it until he finally, you know, molded himself into that that model who could well and you know if you want to get all psychological some of his particular demons and behaviors are a you know response and coping mechanism for that sense of you know imposter syndrome yeah you know you don't have to be Freud to see there's some overcompensation (laughs) going on in 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 mr. Bill's life right I'm certainly going to have you on the show again because I think that would be such a great topic of conversation, like to just have about, you know, the imposter syndrome and kind of the repercussions of, of, of you know, how do you deal with it if you haven't quite mastered really who, knowing who you are, right? Oh, a- a- absolutely. I mean, it's, it's huge. How can you convince anybody else if you're not sure yourself? At the same time, I, I think that we need to state something that I've seen a number of your shows, Bernie, and and I've never heard this stated explicitly. So I think it's important for this context of fear. And that is the notion that fear is a continuum. It's not like you're afraid of public speaking or you're not. Or, you know, you're afraid of getting busted or you're not. It's, I'm a little bit afraid, you know, it kind of goes from, geez, I'm nervous, I want to do a good job, which I certainly suffer from. And before every presentation, you know, you get the butterflies and, and all that stuff. That's natural, To It's completely crippling. And it's the same thing with imposter syndrome. There is a little bit of that Jiminy Cricket voice in your head, you know, Pinocchio, if you do that, you'll never be a real boy, to the point where it overwhelms you and you become self-destructive and and insane right so fear is a continuum it's where are you on that from the mild awareness of a situation to a crippling problem wow I love that I so love that you explicitly stated that because you're right I think we have been dancing around that idea but you're right nobody ever really stated it like that because I think the reality is you don't reach success and then all of a sudden BAM I'm not scared anymore uh, there are different sets of fears that you know set in at, at differing levels the higher and higher you go on the ladder or the farther you get in life you're still always going to be get, going to be scared but it's always going to be something different or maybe it will lessen like you said over time but where are you on that scale of fear I think is the bigger question that we need to ask then are you absent of fear because I wholeheartedly don't believe that anybody could be absent of fear nor should they otherwise you'd be a little crazy Well, (laughs) but you also have to understand that fear biochemically and all this stuff and I could geek out on the brain science forever (laughs) fear is in fact a natural and very desirable trait I mean if you're walking across the savanna and you feel a set of eyes on you right Right. you're right to be a little nervous about that and probably you should be a lot scared well that's the same mechanism that when you get on stage creates stage fright there are people watching me what happens your heart starts pounding you start sweating now it's the same biological response it's not the same thing I mean the odds of anybody in a business presentation killing and eating you are remote Mm 
uh, actual um, consumption unless you're, in the, unless you're talking to lions. Well, <laughs> actual consumption in the business world is extremely rare. Right, right. <laughs> but you know your amygdala and all that good stuff is still firing danger signals. I mean, getting up to present creates the same adrenaline and cortisol in your body as seven cups of coffee. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. So of course you sweat, and of course your heart pounds, and of course you're nervous. Now. For some of us on one particular end of that continuum, that's an adrenaline rush, and we love it, and that's what makes it so cool. Right. You know, but that's the same thing the idiots that jump off buildings with bungee cords tell you, and you'd <laughs> never get me to do that. That's right. So, speaking of fear, you know, as we're starting to wrap up here, because I, I could talk to you forever, I'm definitely going to have you back if you, if you, if you would uh, humble us with your presence again. Um, Boy, you need to raise the bar <laughs> on humble, but that's okay. <laughs> But um, speaking of fear, it's so important that we as a Shut Up Show community and we as, you know, the audience mm -hmm. realize that even those who, like you, you're not afraid of public speaking. You're not afraid of presenting. But you obviously must have fear somewhere, right? So the question I have for you is what are you afraid of right now, whether it's in your business or personally, that you obviously you know, can divulge here in front of the sure. show. But then even greater is how are you working through that fear? If you could take us through kind of that chatter, that the mindset and strategies and tools that you use to get through that, Wayne, I think this will help us to facilitate that whole, you know, solution for those in the audience who are like, I love what he's saying, but I don't know how to do what he's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, there's no big secret about what it, because it's the same thing that's driven me since I was 17, which is that voice in my head that says, you're not worthy of this, you're faking it, you're getting by on your presentation chops and whatever modicum of charm it, it is that you possess. It's certainly not your looks and, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, that voice is still very, very active. Uh, you know, as I grow greatwebmeetings.com, I mean, as I go to promote the new book that's coming out and, and, and I'm speaking at, at conferences that are a much higher level of the food chain than ever before, there's still that voice that says, who are you, monkey boy? You know, you haven't got, uh, you haven't got a, a college degree. You are largely self-taught. You... Uh, have never worked for one of the big consulting firms. You've, you know, who are you to do this? And that voice, which we can't ignore because, again, like fear has a spectrum, that voice has a spectrum. I mean, that's the, it sounds suspiciously like the same voice that serves as your conscience, right? Right. You don't want to do that. Well, you're right. I should probably listen to the voice in that case. So it's not like we could ignore the voice. But we do have to deal with it, and we do have to wrestle with it, and we do have to listen to what it says and then make conscious decisions about is this complete nonsense, is this something maybe I should think about and deal with, or is it something that I should absolutely listen to? And we have to make those decisions every single day. You know, as an entrepreneur, if you don't listen to that voice, you're going to make a lot of really bad decisions. You're going to be totally driven by whim and ego. Right. But at some point, you need to stop and say, is this voice right? A perfect example, when I started great web meetings, it was really all about presentation skills, right? How do you do good webinars? And I still that's still a big 
piece of our business. But more and more, I'm concentrating, I'm making the conscious decision to focus on how people use those tools every day at work. Right? How does a project manager lead a remote team? How does an entrepreneur that has five salespeople scattered around the country keep that team humming? Uh, those kind of communication skills that are mediated by technology. That's a conscious decision. But I had to listen to that voice and challenge a lot of those assumptions before I made the decision that that's where you know we needed to go. And so how does one do it? Well, I... I when I started, there's this notion that you know I must be a real techie, and I'm not. I'm completely technophobic, in fact. So what did I have to do? I sat in on a bunch of free webinars, and I kind of went, boy, this really sucks. And why do people who are really smart do things that they know aren't good from a presentation skill standpoint? Well, it's because they're dealing with a the technology they're unfamiliar with, and they're more concerned about the technology than they are about getting their message across. Ah. You know, I happen to know somebody who can help with that. And that was, so what did I do? I learned how to do a bunch of this stuff. I committed to doing a bunch of webinars when I had no idea what a webinar was or how to do it. The first webinar I ever delivered was at my old company introducing our new web presentation program that I built. I mean, talk about taking a step off the ledge. Right. <laughs> But I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I, I, I think the biggest thing that's helped me, and, and you know, folks can take this for what it's worth because, you know, who the heck am I, right? What's worked for me and, and what I find works for most people is that I'm insatiably curious. And that by talking to people and kind of asking, well, what are you doing and what the heck is that? And just by continuously, that's my learning process. And eventually, I started to meet people. And the imposter syndrome says, who the heck are you? After a while, I woke up one morning, and this is not too recently, actually. Somebody said to me, do you know who you are? I said, no. He said, look, you're the guy that's written five books on the subject of virtual communication and, and webinars and the like. You're the guy who's speaking at all these conferences. You know, do you think the Marshall Goldsmiths and the Jim Coozes and the Phil Gerbishaks and Bernie Shongs of the world would be talking to you if there wasn't something there. And it's taken me a long time where I am actually now semi-comfortable. I'm not completely comfortable because the alarm bells go off. But I can now say that I am one of the leading experts on virtual communication and webinar presentation skills. I can say that. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm the guy, but I'm certainly one of the few. <laughs> right. I love it. It's seriously, you know, to digress for just a second because this does make sense, though. I was just watching a TED Talk that Gary Vaynerchuk did a couple years back, and he's like, I am the only one. I can. He goes, I can honestly say this. I'm the only guy who knows as much about wine as I do. He's like, there's no other wine blogger out there who knows as much as I do about wine blogging. Um, and I'm just like, wow, that, that is such a huge statement, but it's true because he positioned himself to do that. So right. as, as I hear you say that, I think about that as well. It's like, what's that one thing that we're really good at that when we say it, it really is the truth, even though it sounds, you know, to some might sound arrogant, right, or overconfident, but it's well, the and, truth. <laughs> and for your audience, for your audience, 
I think it's really, really critical that we get to the point where you can do it. There's a great Chicago expression, I got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and my goal from the moment I started great web meetings was I looked around and said, I want to be the guy. Yeah. When you you're you think about, gee, my company needs to do marketing webinars. When you think, gee, you know, all my managers need to lead these meetings using WebEx, and we don't know how the heck to do that. You know, we just rolled out Microsoft Link, and everybody sucks. I got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and as an entrepreneur, what do you want to be the guy at? And, and you know, the guy is a completely gender neutral term, by right. the way. <laughs> uh, because I know plenty of women who are the guy. Um, you know, there's a, a book, I'm looking at it right now on my shelf, Become a Recognized Authority in Your Field in 60 Days. John Bly. That was my Bible when I started my company. And I mean, it was written pre-Twitter and, and all of that, but how do you become the guy? And you need to become the guy in spite of the voice in the back of your head that says, what are you doing? There's other guys. <laughs> but I, that for me is how do I become the guy? Well, I need to know about this. I need to know about this. Oops, my competition just did something I wasn't aware of. What the heck are they do? What do they know that I don't know? And then I have to go find out. Mm -hmm. I love it. I seriously love it. I think, I think I know we went off on a tangent there, but it totally makes sense. And to kind of re recap what you said, you know, in response to the question, what are you afraid of right now and how are you working through it? It definitely does it comes back to communication again. You're using communication even in talking to yourself, talking those thoughts out loud, right? The gremlins in our head who tell us we're not good enough, we're talking to it and we're uncovering further and further, deeper and deeper, saying why? Why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? Until you get to the answer and the answer ends up being, of course I'm awesome. Of course I know what I'm talking about and of course I'm good enough. So shut up and go make my shit happen. Right? <laughs> I want to be the guy that people say, oh, you want to shut up and make shit happen? All right, I've got, a, I've got a guy over there for you. Her name is Bert. Well, you're the, you're the shut up and make shit happen guy. <laughs> That's, you know, here, here's the thing. When, when we hear those messages to ourselves, whether it's the message we tell ourselves or the message we tell everybody else, message has two components. There's the message itself, and there's how it's communicated. That's the verbal, the vocal the whatever. Right. And the message that you tell yourself, you know, if you are the guy, would the guy start every sentence with, look, I'm no expert, but. Oh my gosh. I, I just have to pause for a second there. I used to say that all the time in my previous sales life. And my manager who went on a buddy call with me called me out on that and, and I had no idea Wayne that I was even saying it and as soon as he told me you've got to zap that don't say that anymore I stopped saying it from that moment on and it completely changed my confident level and it completely changed how confident my customers were about my ability to perform and can I tell you something that is you know there's a difference between believing something and observing it it is very female yeah. To start with, I'm sorry, look, I don't mean to, whatever. Just ask the question. Just say what you're going to say. It's funny, if my, my daughter's a 21-year-old college student, and you know every girl in class, when she asks a question, says, I'm sorry, I don't understand, whereas the guys go, what do you mean? <laughs> 
that is a conditioned behavior. It is. So when you know you're doing it, that's the first thing. Stop saying that. Now, does it mean you're not sorry? Does it mean you still don't think this is a stupid question? No. But the perception in the mind of your audience, whether that's one person or a whole bunch of people, changes. Yeah. It absolutely does. And that's the same thing my manager at the time said. He said, he said, you're doing your client a disservice by making them believe that you're not competent enough to be their consultant. And he said, shame on us if we're not confident enough to say, here's my solution, here you go, versus I may not be an expert. Maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. And I didn't realize by those weasel words that I was using to preface what I was about to give them as a solution was actually telling them, this is not good enough for you. So disregard. <laughs> you know? No, you're absolutely Great right, Bernie. You're absolutely yeah. right. And here's the thing. What people see in here, uh, how you're dressed. And, and I'll tell you what. I'm 52 years old. It's been the last seven or eight years that I've actually cared about how I dress. <laughs> me, it's Seriously. been five and, and it, a half years. <laughs> and it used to be a point of pride to me that I don't care because I'm smart enough. And if they can't see through this shallow nonsense, then I don't want to work with them. And so how you dress actually matters. When I'm on a webinar with you or with anybody, you know, I knew I was going to be on webcam today. I'm wearing not my biggest boy clothes because this is a very casual conversation. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not wearing an ACDC t-shirt and a baseball cap. <laughs> the shirt actually has buttons on it. I put on <laughs> buttons for you, Bernie. That's how much I care. Well, I'll tell you, I'm not telling you what I'm wearing from the waist down, but I am dressed up from hey, the waist hey, up. <laughs> from the waist up. But, you know, when I get on, web, when I get on a, a webinar with a client, even if the webcam isn't on, I shower because I feel better. Right. I sit up straight. I use a headset because it frees my hands to gesture, and, and that comes out through my voice. Right. 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 I love it. I love everything you're saying because it's going back and reframing everything we've talked about in this whole conversation, Wayne. Right. How do you overcome the, the fear of not being good enough or I don't know what I'm doing, so I've got to fake it till I make it. But you said it's about not only your word choices and improving communication, but it's pretty much everything else, too. Like, how are people perceiving you by the way you dress, the way you feel, right, the way you smell, the way you look, and I well, think that all of those elements are so important. Well, they are, and, and what happens is you become, you come to a place where you trust where you are, and there's a difference between faith and trust. Right. And, and, and here, here's the difference. Faith is just believing something, very often in spite of all the evidence. Trust is believing something with some evidence to back it up, right? Right. What you need to be able to do, and this is the whole fake it till you make it thing, is you have to move from faith to trust. With, you know, fake it till you make it starts with, okay, if I act confident, people will think I'm confident and I'm going to get the job or I'm going to get the promotion or I'm going to get the sale. But when you look good, smell good, uh, sound coherent, make eye contact, use the technology effectively, you create the impression in your audience's mind of somebody who's competent and you get the gig. Now, when you look good, smell good, use the technology well and all that good stuff, you get the gig. 
now you can trust that that's going to happen. It's actually based on some evidence, and it becomes now your new default position. Right. It's no longer faith. It's trust. Right. And that's where you need, as you're moving through that imposter syndrome, you have to trust that you really are as good as you say you are. And guess what? There's evidence to back it up. And I love that we finished on that topic because that answers, well, it's not really a question that I had, but at the beginning I told you I did not like that saying, fake it till you make it. But you just added a component to that saying that makes sense. Because I don't like the idea of faking to, you know, fake it to make it just to trick people or manipulate people. I really want there to be some form of transformation that happens. And you just basically summed it up in talking about turning faith into trust because of the evidence from practicing it, right? Practicing it, it becomes habitual, and then all of a sudden you're it. You're doing yes. it. <laughs> Second nature. Yes. You wake up one morning and suddenly you're there. You're it. Yeah, exactly. I love You're it. You're the guy. You're the guy. <laughs> so I know we're over our time, but thank you so much for the, for the time you've given us because this topic is absolutely amazing. This whole imposter syndrome, working through it, talking about your own fears and everything. I, I, it's beautiful because like I said, you may not have fear of speaking and presenting and getting in front of people like some of us introverted people naturally are but you still have fear in your life. You're still af afraid of things. And like you said, there is this, this spectrum of where do I fall on the scale now, depending on, you know, obviously what it is and how much experience I have dealing with that fear. And I love that because I, it needs to be this pragmatic and this tactical for our audience to be able to do something with the information we provide them every week. So thank you for that, Wayne. Um, our final question to you this is one of the most important questions, is what the hell are you working on now and how can our audience find you and your work? Okay. Uh, they can find me and my work in a couple of ways. Uh, the most obvious is our website, greatwebmeetings.com. Uh, we also have a blog which is kind of simulcast. Uh, managementissues.com uh, has a build as The Connected Manager. You can also go to theconnectedmanager.com uh, which is on our website. Uh, and the the most exciting thing going on, Bernie, is I got a new book coming out, May. Woohoo! Tell it's us a called, little bit about it. Oh, what a lovely, what a lovely <laughs> segue. Uh, it's called Meet Like You Mean It, A Leader's Guide to Painless and Productive Virtual Meetings. And if you are a project manager, a team leader, uh, a business owner who needs to hold meetings via WebEx or Microsoft Link or any of those types of tools, and maybe you're suffering a little glossowebinophobia, this is your chance to learn some very simple techniques to change the behaviors that create the impressions, right? To start to build up the trust in your communication skills uh, among your team. So uh, if you come to greatwebmeetings.com, and, and Bernie, you'll have a link, I'm sure, to the site. Uh, the book is available for pre-order now. May 1st, it'll be available on Amazon. Uh, we also have monthly workshops on web presentation skills, leading effective virtual meetings, but you can learn all that at our uh, at our site. So uh, greatwebmeetings.com is what I'm toiling away at every day and the big scary thing hanging over my head right now is the launch of the new book, Bernie. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we'll make sure that the Shut Up uh, Show community gets all of that information. And if there's anything else you need from us to help support and promote that launch, because obviously it's happening right now and you said it goes live on May 1st, right? It sure does. Okay, awesome. So whatever you need from us, please reach out. We, we love helping all of our former guests and obviously you're a friend too. So whatever we can do to help you. You already shut up and made the book happen. So we just need to shut up and you know, and help you make it a success. <laughs> well, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> but now I got to go shut up and sell something. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Same here. So, Wayne, thank you so much again for joining us. Like I said, we'll definitely have you back. There are more topics we need to uncover, and um, we only scratched the surface um, of, you know, the imposter syndrome here, but I know it's a huge, huge topic that hangs over everybody's heads, and I think it will pretty much forever. <laughs> so however we can help our audience get over that and overcome Absolutely. it and get better. Uh, loved having you. It was a great conversation. So again, thank you so much, Wayne. Well, love being had. Thanks, Bernie. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Shut Up Show. The Shut Up Show is sponsored by The Amazing Cells. That's S-E-L-Z dot com. Seriously, simple selling. Go check them out. Every Monday, we deliver an inside edition of The Shut Up Show right to your inbox. Plus, as a bonus, get instant access to download a free copy of our 18-page ebook, The Solopreneur's Guide for Shutting Up and Making Shit Happen. Simply go to our website at theshutupshow.com slash subscribe and join other brave entrepreneurs who are shutting up and making shit happen. If you believe in The Shut Up Show and this platform has helped you shut up and make shit happen, please head on over to iTunes, search for The Shut Up Show in the podcast section, and leave us an honest star rating and review. Your feedback will help us to gauge what we're doing well and where we need to continue to improve. The ratings and reviews help us to continue to bring on amazing sponsors like Cells so that we can deliver weekly episodes to you for free. So your feedback does matter. Thank you for helping us and supporting us.